Welcome to the ICO Alert podcast. I'm your host, Mike Finch, COO and co-founder of ICO Alert. Uh, we are doing something that we haven't done before with the podcast. We are uh, relatively live, at least through Instagram, doing the podcast at the Sportscaster, the, the fan chain office here in New York City. Uh, so I'm sitting here with Nick. I'm sitting here with Kevin. Uh, they are launching Fan Chain, a part of the Sportscaster team. So gentlemen, really appreciate the time. I want you guys to uh, introduce yourselves, uh, let our listeners you know, kind of know what your backstory is, how you got into cryptocurrency, all that fun stuff. Great. And, and thank you, Mike, for stopping by our offices. Pleasure to have you. Um, I'm Kevin. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Sportscaster. Uh, I've been developing online platforms and businesses since I was a teenager. Um, predominantly in the technology space. I started with an Atari community and then while I was in college um, I launched one of the largest Macintosh communities. When I discovered sports I realized that the combination of um, sports and community was unlike any other combination out there. There's nothing more powerful in my mind uh, than sports and the example I like to use is the Olympics when you have two right. countries um, like North Korea and South Korea um, putting aside their differences and marching together. So I knew that I really wanted to, to dedicate my professional career to, to sports. Um, in 2009, we launched uh, an incubator. And the first platform out of that incubator was sportsblog.com. And sportsblog.com is, is still online and it's a open blogging platform for sports bloggers, essentially. It gives everyone the tools um, to become a sports reporter and to share the love of mm. the game. Obviously, 2012, 2013 to 2016, the internet was really moving towards live video. Um, and most of the feedback we got from our bloggers was, how can we talk about the game live when it's on? You know, people like to share the excitement of the game. Sure. And if you look at how most people experience a game and watch a game, um, everybody has a second screen in front of them. So uh, as fans, we really rely on other fans to enhance that viewing experience. So when we looked at the landscape and we saw that um, platforms like Instagram and Facebook Live, um, although they say they're live video platforms, they're not really live, right? They have latency uh, anywhere from eight seconds to 30 seconds. Oh, so wow. So if you're trying to use Facebook Live to receive commentary from a fan while a game is on, it's going to be completely out of sync um, with, with the commentary. Um, so that's really the genesis of uh, Sportscaster. In terms of cryptocurrency, um, our CTO and myself, we've been using blockchain um, you know, back since 2011, um, uh, Bitcoin, I, I apologize. And um, what attracted me to it, in addition to just the ethos, the community approach um, to, to cryptocurrency and blockchain, was that I've always believed that users of a platform should uh, see an upside in the value that they create in the platform. So it's, it's ridiculous to me that Facebook has these millions, tens of millions of users, and they're creating all sorts of wealth and, and generating value for this platform, but they're not seeing any of that benefit. And if you, if you take that a step further, and if you look at the sports landscape, and as I mentioned, fans really rely on other fans to enhance the viewing experience. And teams and leagues really rely on fans to build value, um, both to broadcast and, and to purchase tickets and memorabilia. So we saw a huge disconnect in the value that fans were creating 
um, for their teams and leagues. And blockchain technology in, in combination with Sportscaster at first allowed us to bridge that gap. Gotcha. What about you, Nick? So I am uh, Nick Shupak, the VP of Community, and I come from the world of music. So when, when I was in college, I accidentally started a management agency for independent artists. <laughs> uh, it, that turned into somewhat of a concert promotions business, um, to a certain extent a, a record label, but in no sort of traditional sense. Um, and I did that for uh, a little bit too long. Um, but I, I loved it and I learned a lot and it was, it was a very interesting time in music. So I, I started in um, about 2004 uh, when MySpace was really the prominent tool and, and the prominent social network online. Mm -hmm. And um, when I first started, bands were still spending thousands of dollars printing up CDs that they would then give away for free at their shows. And it was apparent to me uh, that the streaming revolution, which at that point was um, still in its nations, was going to come at a certain point, then it was going to be a, a, a full-fledged revolution. In about 2012, 2013, I left the world of managing artists and moved into technology and with a team of people developed um, a social application around music. So encouraging users to recommend music to one another and rewarding them for making good recommendations. Mm, interesting. So after pursuing that for a while and um, learning uh, another valuable lesson about dealing with the three uh, monolithic record labels and how much fun that can be, I had, I had met Kevin. Um, by virtue of the fact that I was in technology and we were introduced to one another through a mutual friend, um, and as he mentioned at the time, he was um, at sportsblog.com, and we as a group instantly saw the value in what he was building there. And what's more, we recognized a particular uh, vision that Kevin shared um, that was a vision of a community that really did reward its users in a really in a real way, because it's pretty easy to sort of stick something artificial onto a social platform right. and become somewhat of a shill of your own product. But that was not at all how Kevin ran sports blog. That wasn't how he approached the other communities that he built online. So we were sure that in working together that we'd, we'd build something pure. And, and again, coming from the world of music um, and seeing how music touches people's lives in really meaningful ways. Uh, from, from the get-go, we were really encouraged about the opportunity to, to work with Kevin and to build something new and, and exciting. And I wasn't terribly familiar with blockchain technology prior to meeting Kevin, but as soon as he opened my eyes to it, you know, a few years ago, it was a very similar realization to that of streaming, opening up the world to music, blockchain technology opening up the world to fully decentralizing and, and the online, you know, automatic reward systems mm -hmm. and enabling people to really affect one another in positive ways. Nice. That's awesome. It's uh, always interesting to hear how people get into cryptocurrency, you know, for music or, you know, technology in, in some form. So very cool. Uh, let's back up just a tad that we hit some awesome points about, um, you know, the, the platform. But the difference between 
sportscaster and fan chain is super important if you uh use our site you'll find fan chain there you can find more information on on that project but kevin just give us a, a breakdown of the difference between sportscaster fan chain how are they different all that my pleasure so sportscaster is the company that's developing fan chain so it's the same team behind sportscaster that's behind fan chain it's important to note that from day one when we started sportscaster we always had ambitions to create this digital ecosystem in which viewers of live broadcasts could send virtual tips to broadcasters similar to twitch Mm. Um, likewise Uh, We had plans to allow users to flag certain streams as premium content. Um, So then the viewers would have to pay to unlock that content. So this digital ecosystem was at the heart of Sportscaster from day one. When we started developing that in a tangible way, we realized that if we built the ecosystem using Ethereum uh, technology, we were able to decentralize it. And that was important for us because, um, especially for me, coming from sports blog, I knew that other sites, entities, and apps would see a value in this token that we were developing. So Sportscaster, the live streaming app, will be the first platform to use and support FanChain, but we are developing an entire entire infrastructure that will allow it to grow and um, be adopted Um, on its own, um, completely decentralized. Gotcha. And so last year, correct me if I'm wrong, the alpha went out for Sportscaster. What have you guys seen so far? Because this is, it's an interesting concept, right? You mentioned Twitch. Twitch is something that I imagine Mm -hmm. when it was in that concept phase, everybody looked at it and said, why do I want to watch people play Mm -hmm. video games? I'll just play them myself. That's the Mm -hmm. whole point. And here we are. Twitch is a huge company. So Mm -hmm. A similar story there, definitely some similarities, you know, as far as the the platform goes. What have you guys seen so far to date with Sportscaster, specifically as it relates to, or as if you're answering that question that I'm sure many have, Mm -hmm. like, why would I want to have commentary from other people Mm -hmm. available while I watch the sports event? So as David Stern famously likes to say, it's all about personalization. And if you're watching a broadcast on ESPN, you're being spoon-fed the commentary that they want you to listen to. And it has to always um, essentially address the lowest common denominator, and it has to appease the most amount of people. Hmm. And whether it's socioeconomic differences, gender differences, or even language differences, how one person wants to receive the commentary is completely different than how another person wants to receive the commentary. And technology allows you to personalize your commentary, so why wouldn't we open that up for everyone? Interesting. Um, if you look at behavioral trends on the internet, we know that when a live sporting event is on TV within the US, more than half of the tweets on Twitter become related to that game. And fans are hungry you know, for that fan-driven commentary because it's authentic, right? right? The way one fan talks to another fan about the game is completely different than how the talking head on TV talks about it. If you look at utility of the platform, uh, one of the examples we like to use is NBA League Pass, which is an OTT platform provided by the NBA, and it allows you to watch NBA games on the internet. Uh, The interesting thing about platforms like NBA League Pass and many others is that they are hugely popular internationally, um, yet predominantly most of the games are only broadcast in English. 
So Sportscaster is a very effective way to essentially crowdsource regionalized commentary. Huh. Another great example is the fact that on ESPN, there's only a single female MLB commentator. So there's, there's a disproportionate amount of diversity when it comes to commentary choices based on the actual population of sports fans. Got you. So sticking with Sportscaster then, how will that work for the user? Will the commentary feed kind of like live alongside the sports event? You know, how will that work? So there are two ways. Sportscaster will always exist as a second screen experience. um, And we're building a lot of technology to really make it different from um, the Facebook lives out there. And what that means is when you have a game that you're watching on TV in front of you, you'll be able to load up the Sportscaster app and browse through selection of people who are using the app, providing live commentary, choose your commentator, and it'll be completely synchronized with what you're watching on TV. Um, so you're not seeing the game within the app, but it's an effective gotcha. way for, uh, to receive alternative commentary. What's very exciting for us is we are moving towards the direction of acquiring rights and creating partnerships with rights holders. In that scenario, You watch the game on Sportscaster, and people who go live to share commentary while the game is on, they bubble on top of the game action. And you simply swipe through, and you can filter by language, location, gender, etc. And you can choose your commentary completely synchronized again uh, with the game action. Wow. So from that alpha then, you guys are seeing this live already. What, What are some of the biggest things that you're pulling from the platform already? What I would say has been the most promising development since we started Sportscaster is just watching the entire industry move in this direction. Hmm. Um, I could pinpoint examples of different networks who are trying to tie in fan commentary because everybody knows that this is the future of personalization um, when it comes to the viewing experience. We've been very focused for the last two years on developing this technology and creating some very large commercial partnerships that we can't announce yet, but we'll be announcing in July. No one can ever make any announcements coming on this in podcast. July. Coming in July. <laughs> We're on Instagram Live. Come on now. Well, that, uh, yeah. that, that's the world of crypto. We're just announcing that we will have an announcement. <laughs> exactly. That's the needle. But yes. one, one interesting pilot was with USA Today Sports Media Group during the Mayweather fight back last summer. Was that Mayweather McGregor? Yeah. Yeah, that was wild. It was, it was really interesting because uh, the MMA Junkie team, which is part of the USA Today Sports Media Group collection of sites, they covered the fight from their studio using Sportscaster. Really? And oh, wow. we had you know, tens of thousands of people uh, tune in. At that time, we were really testing the, you know, the concurrent viewer load balancing. But what was interesting was A, people loved it, and B, using Sportscaster technology, because it's essentially you know, sub-second latency, it was the fastest place on the internet to receive updates about the fight if you weren't watching the game, if you didn't want to pay $99 to unlock uh, mm-hmm. the fight, I should say. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was really interesting because we had a great combination of people who were using the stream as a source of alternative commentary and then people who just used it as the main place to get updates um, about the fight so we're working on a larger scale i can talk about that we're working on a larger scale partnership with usa today sports media group to uh, enable their network of sites to utilize sportscasters technology so they have mma junkie which i've heard of i'm a big mma fan i don't know about you guys but what else is under that umbrella so um they have for the win 
which is a big site. Um, they have a collection of NFL wire sites. They have, they have a great NFL site for every NFL team. Um, I believe the big lead is part of their network as well. So it's, it's a huge network of sites that collectively attracts uh, you know, upwards of 50 million uniques a month, according wow. to Comscore. Unreal. The one question I imagine uh, some of the team members back in Pittsburgh for us have mm-hmm. and uh, other folks out there is, how is David Stern connected to this, right? Like that's a huge partner to have, somebody who drastically changed a major sport in the United States for the better, right? Mm-hmm. Back in the, the 90s and, and uh, so on. He did amazing things for the NBA. How did this partnership or advisory or whatever it is come about? So on, on the topic of David Stern, I just want to add his office is one block away from ours, by the way. That helps. And uh, I just spoke to him last night about this podcast, and he's been very actively involved with the team in, in helping guide us, share his wisdom. He's, he's been very generous with his connections. And David's a very smart guy, and um, he's, he is an investor and advisor of several very leading-edge tech companies, uh-huh. um, including some in the AI space, machine learning, voice recognition, etc. In terms of how he became involved with this company, um, our chairman, Donald Shupak, um, if, you, if you Google his name, he is the managing partner of the Spirits of St. Louis. That's the jersey you see behind us right now. Okay. That was uh, an ABA team before the NBA um, uh, kind of took over. And um, Donald and his partners are famous for orchestrating what Sports Illustrated called uh, the best sports deal of the century when they negotiated uh, a settlement between the Spirits and the, and the NBA. Mm. That was several decades ago, and that was when David Stern was the commissioner. So Donald and David, although they sat at opposite sides of the table uh, throughout that process, um, they always remained professional with each other, and they became friends throughout the years. So Hmm. when we started Sportscaster, uh, Donald had the foresight to invite David in, and David was our first outside investor, uh, first advisor, and uh, he believed in, in the product and the company even before we had anything coded. So... Um, he's he's obviously we're lucky to have him on the team and, and he's very actively involved. Gotcha. Okay, so before we talk fan chain, um, the one of the most interesting things about this project to mm-hmm. me is that Sportscaster has an SDK, mm-hmm. correct? So fan chain is using that, uh, and we'll get to that. But do you guys have any other partners and kind of what's the what's the thought around? setting sportscaster up in that way mm-hmm. where you know certainly you mentioned that decentralization is a is a key point but others can build on sportscaster what happens if some of those projects don't go well does that hurt mm-hmm. the sportscaster brand like is there any risk there what what's kind of the thought behind having that set up the idea with uh, the upcoming SDK, it's, it's not it's not uh, public yet and all the other components of the fan chain ecosystem is that other leagues and OTT platforms and teams can not only support sportscaster technology, so provide this uh, personalized commentary layer, but also accept fan chain tokens, right? Mm. So imagine if you could unlock your favorite sporting event using fans tokens that you generated by talking about the team that you love. So we really strive to create this feedback incentive loop where by sharing the passion for your favorite team or league. Buying um, merchandise, something like that, yeah. Fan chain will be uh, useful for tickets, memorabilia, unlocking access, 
even sports betting. So it's it's a really interesting uh, opportunity we have. Okay, so tell me more about FanChain then. How is it different than Sportscaster? This is you know part of the ecosystem that's running a, a token sale, which you guys announced here today, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so exciting times. How does the token work? How, how is it helping create this ecosystem? What we know, uh, collectively, everyone on our team has been uh, involved in sports media or sports technology for a very long time, decades. Obviously, I mentioned Donald Chupak, mm-hmm. David Stern, for example. Most people, when you ask them uh, if they're a sports fan, they say, yeah, I love the Lakers, or yeah, I'm, I'm a diehard Knicks fan. So we know that fans really identify with a team more so than with a league or sport. Yeah, um, everybody, like, and, and not to hate on David Stern in any way, but everybody always hates the commissioner mm-hmm. of the league, you know, but they love the owners mm-hmm. of the team a lot of times. Yes. It's weird. Yes. So we, Depending on the city you're in. Right, <laughs> for sure. So we know that there needs to be a way to essentially embed team affinity within a token. Mm. Um, and that's something that we saw was missing within the, the cryptocurrency landscape. So when we were developing a fan chain, um, that was our main goal is how do we take this passion that, that fans have for their favorite team, put it in a token so that they can be directly, it can be directly correlated with the value they're creating for their favorite team. So we started initially with a ERC 721, you know, non-fungible mm-hmm. token. And we ended up with this, this really innovative um, uh, hybrid token, essentially, which is ERC-20 compliant, so completely fungible outside of the FanChain ecosystem. But when you use it within the FanChain ecosystem, so if you spend it on Sportscaster, or if you uh, spend it on one of our platforms within the ecosystem that accepts FanChain, it will be able to become aware of the individual teams that are stamped on an individual token. So if you're a Knicks fan and if you're providing commentary on Sportscaster about the Knicks, not only will you receive fan chain tokens, but the tokens you receive will contain metadata that says these are Knicks tokens. So it's our intention to grow the support base for fan chains so that you could go to a Knicks uh, e-commerce shop and use those Knicks fan chain tokens to unlock special discounts or access. Gotcha. So you guys have to then onboard a lot of large organizations, right? I mean, certainly you have uh, big advisors like mm-hmm. a David Stern. How usable will it be for an organization like the Knicks, right? How, how easy is it going to be for somebody to come on board and join this ecosystem? And, and Nick, you're you know, heading up community. It goes the same for users. So mm-hmm. first from you, Kevin, mm-hmm. you know, from the organizational standpoint, and then know a little bit about some of the things uh, from a community standpoint that you guys are doing to get the word out and that's what it is right like that network effect is tough good question we have an advantage that a lot of you know tokens uh, don't have and we have sportscaster to act as a foundation that we can really use to usher an adoption of fan chain you know the more sportscaster grows um, and we have some pretty large partnerships uh, that we'll be announcing uh, the more people will be using fan chain just right off the bat it was also important for us to create an ecosystem outside of Sportscaster. We have FanPay, which is going to be a uh, payment gateway, essentially, that any website, any team, any league can plug into their platform easily to accept fan chain tokens. Wow. We have an exchange site where you'll be able to exchange 
fan chain tokens stamped with one team for another team. Of course, everything outside of Sportscaster will be completely open sourced, and we want to build uh, the tools for everyone to create their own uses of, of fan chain and create opportunities for people to use fan pay and fan exchange and uh, the fan wallet in, in new and innovative ways. So. Everything is going to be open source, documented, and, and we're going to give everyone the tools they need to to take it and run with it. So you guys aren't just, you know, kind of setting it up in a way where it's like, if we build it, they will come. I think that's a big... Absolutely not. And that's why Sportscaster, the app, is important because we're very uh, serious in using that as a foundation to usher and support. And uh, we're hoping uh, that with the partnerships we have on the Sportscaster side, it'll really help with adoption outside of Sportscaster as well. Gotcha. So then on the on the user side and on the community side, as you guys continue to, to build the hype behind this project and build the community, you're building an ecosystem, where are you guys at today and what are some of the things that you're doing um, you know, to, to achieve those large goals, basically, when it comes to a network effect? Well, I think uh, holistically, um, you know, some, from 100,000 feet, when we have our more philosophical discussions in the office, which are usually after office hours, what we like to talk about is a universe where there are no gatekeepers. Okay. And I think that's one, of the, that's one of the beautiful things about blockchain technology is that the notion of decentralization means that people can make this technology into whatever they want. And what we are seeking to provide for people is the ability to make fan chain what they want it to be. And while Sportscaster mm. is the first place that utilizes it, opening up the ecosystem, making it available to anyone, as you mentioned, the SDK, we will provide the playing field and ultimately the people will determine the rules of the game. And, and as, a, as to drill down into the, um, the more sort of microscopic level user by user it's very important for us to be genuine and honest and when it comes to dealing with the community it's very personal i would say that some of us here have even developed friendships with some of our users because we ask them what they think of the platform we email them we talk to them while they're live we nice. ap uh, appreciate and actually listen to their feedback. If you were to go on several Reddit threads across various communities, among them esports communities, we dig really deep into these conversations and, and take a lot of pride in listening to people and asking them questions, not, not only about what they would like us to do, but about their lives, about their experiences, because ultimately, if we aren't genuine from the beginning, from the get-go, then we're not creating the sort of ecosystem that we want to create. So the, right. the community touch is very hands-on. Gotcha. Kevin, you had mentioned, and this is for either of you, that there were the possibilities of kind of more premium content. And then I had read that, you know, perhaps some more premium features as well for mm -hmm. users. What are you guys... So one example of uh, premium content or subscriptions or pay-per-view would be exactly what I mentioned uh, earlier. Imagine if you could unlock live sporting events uh, with fan chain tokens. Um, that's important to us. We're working very hard on making that happen. Of course, Vernon Davis, Steve Smith, we have a lot of high-profile athletes, inf uh, influencers using the platform, and we know we're going to attract more of them. So to the extent that those high-profile influencers want to provide backstage access, charity events, fantasy tips, we think there's a, there's a 
pretty cool opportunity. Um, and it's going to be up to the user, by the way, to flag what content they deem as a premium and, and open mm-hmm. that up to the user base. Gotcha. So a little bit about the tech here. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we, you know, we try not to bore people too much. Mm-hmm. But so it's being built on Ethereum, right? Mm-hmm. Why that blockchain versus others? There's, you know, as we kind of call it in the office, and many do that the, the massive uh, infrastructure debate in cryptocurrency, yeah. right? You've got Ethereum, who's who's been around and, and certainly the most established mm-hmm. out there for for projects like yours. But then you have new blockchains that are up and coming who are toting, you know, stronger transaction speed or, or additional benefits or capabilities of all different kinds. So uh, why'd you guys choose Ethereum? And, and are you set on that? Or do you see it changing ever in the future? Good question. It's not a decision we made lightly. Um, we put a lot of time into researching the different blockchains um, and which one would be the best fit for what we're trying to do. Uh, ultimately, ERC721 was able to embed that specific team affinity into an individual token. The problem with that, of course, is that we wanted to maintain fungibility outside of the ecosystem, and uh, we ultimately ended up with this this hybrid, like I mentioned. Ethereum won out at the end mainly because of the infrastructure around it. Obviously, its, its technology is great, but the developer community the support when it comes to third-party platforms and applications and, and wallets, it's out there. And, mm-hmm. and it, it seemed logical for us, given the fact that we were able to do exactly what we wanted to do with this ERC721 slash ERC20 token, we believe it was the right choice. Obviously, we were very careful in terms of gas consumption um, and transaction volume. The way we've developed many of the, let's say, tent poles within the ecosystem have been specifically to address how to reduce gas costs. Um, So it it was important uh, to us. It's something we looked into quite carefully, and we're very happy with it right now. In the white paper, um, we we mentioned if down the line, if if something happens on the Ethereum network, and uh, let's say our transaction volume gets to a point where it's not working out, or if gas costs get too high, Mm -hmm. we're very open to either switching to a different blockchain or um, developing our own solution. Of course, if that did happen, there would be a, a one-to-one token swap, of course. But uh, right now, it's it's working great, and it's doing everything we want it to do. And we love the community. The Ethereum community is awesome. Yeah, that's great that, that you guys are not just going to, say, the most mature you know application platform, but you're also aware of the challenges and are setting up the, the you know the, the platform in a way that combats some of those challenges. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a that's a problem that a lot of projects will see as they continue to gain more adoption, mm-hmm. right? If, if I mean, CryptoKitties is the obvious example. I, mm-hmm. I use this, everyone uses it all the yeah. time, but you know, what could have happened if, yeah. uh, if, if CryptoKitties didn't have all that traffic congestion, yeah. you know, where could it, where would it have been right. today or in a year or whatnot? But it well, was- we, we, we knew what we needed from the blockchain in order to make this currency work. Right. You know, as Kevin mentioned from day one, there was going to be a reward system in place on Sportscaster, and and as we sort of married uh, the vision of Sportscaster with the capabilities of the Ethereum blockchain, we weren't backing into anything. You know, it was first and foremost we have these requirements from what we need from a, a technology partner, and you know, Ethereum were the ones uh, who could provide that best for us. Gotcha. That's that's awesome. That's super helpful. 
I know that's that's a constant question from our listeners, uh, so that's why I ask it. Yeah, I mean, in this office, we're big fans of Stello. For example, we looked we looked heavily into nice. that, and uh, we have a few. I want to say sister ICOs within New York City who we, we talk to, one of them's running on Stellar. So we always, you know, debate the benefits to, to various technologies. But uh, I think at the end of the day, it's whichever one fits your project best and ultimately mm. serves your users best. Right. And yeah, that's important. No doubt the user is number one. Yeah. Um, so what's your current timeline today? You guys just announced a really awesome, you know, new partnership of sorts for the token sale. What's that, and what's your timeline look like? We we announced a very unique partnership with Coin, um, obviously the first global fintech cryptocurrency to be licensed by the Japanese Financial Services Agency. And, um, and so people know it's Coin. It's spelled Q U U O I N E. Yes, that um, actually is the proper spelling. We we spell it <laughs> funny in English. That's how you spell. Coin. Um, and you know, I've been following Coin uh, for quite some time. They did their own ICO with the Cash Q Q A S H token, which I'm a fan of. Right. Um, but underneath Coin, they have two exchanges. They have a fiat to crypto uh, exchange called um, Coinex, and then they have a crypto only exchange called Cryptos. Q R-Y-P-T-O-S. And because they're part of the cryptocurrency community and, and heavily involved with the community, I think they realized that they needed to create, or let me put it in a different way, they had an opportunity to create a platform, bring really high quality token sales to their user base, which numbers in you know 300,000 plus members. So they launched uh, a service called ICO Mission Control. And uh, we're one of the first token sales to uh, to partner with them on this and as part of the private token sale it's only going to be open to members of the cryptos platform who have an account balance of a thousand dollars US dollar equivalent Um, if you fund your cryptos account with with that amount of uh, currency you'll be able to unlock the details of the private sale but it's it's really great because they handle the KYC process they handle the token distribution, so you'll instantly receive your fan chain token after you pay for it. And you know you know that you're in good hands with, with uh, cryptos and coin. They're very serious people, and, and they have a team of professionals working on this with us. Yeah, it's a new model. Just like a variety of other topics, regulatory uncertainty is one that comes yeah. up a lot. You guys, you, you're launching your, you know, this sale coming up through cryptos mm-hmm. through through coin mm-hmm. um, are there any users that can't participate in in this so it's it's unfortunate but uh, we're not able to offer the token sale to anyone uh, who's a US citizen US resident sure. I should say um, we've actually been planning this token sale for about a year now and primarily the delay was talking to lawyers and and uh, mm-hmm. making sure that we are protected on the legal side because it is such a fluid environment and we have such high profile partners and investors and because we really believe that FanChain has an opportunity to really usher an adoption in a totally new way. If you look at how mainstream sports is and how global it is, the combination of sports and, and cryptocurrency, we don't want to screw it up. So uh, we took an ultra conservative approach to the token sale. It's not open to US uh, residents or citizens. Um, but other than that, if you go to crypto, you'll see details on how you can participate in the first round of the private sale. Yeah, I think that's smart. You know, not uh, everyone is doing that or has done that, and it's important for you know, kind of the the livelihood of the project mm-hmm. and the long ter- long term success of the project. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what where do you guys see just generally uh, some of this uncertainty going right we had as we were talking about before the podcast a huge boom uh, earlier this year and mm-hmm. towards the end of last year uh, where I think our words were you know when is that gonna happen again or something mm-hmm. where do you guys see this going for the rest of 2018 do you, do you think all ICOs will become securities do you think that the United States will just fall behind what do you think? Well, I think the United States um, has already fallen behind, unfortunately. Um, in many respects, uh, we're involved um, in the crypto community in New York City, and it's it's sad to see that a lot of the best projects, if not all of the best projects, aren't open to um, Americans, even if they're developed within the states. Right. It's wild. It's it's it's, it's a pretty backward situation. But I also appreciate uh, the stance of the SEC. There was a lot of noise out there. Um, there, there is a lot of bad players and bad actors in this market. So I don't think there is a, a right or wrong approach to it, um, but it is an unfortunate situation um, how all the pieces have come together and, and led up to this climate that we're in. Right. It, it is, you know, as Kevin <laughs> mentioned, it's not a bad thing that the SEC is trying to protect consumers. That's what they're there for. Um, but, you know, it is certainly a source of frustration and something a bit perturbing and strange that they're, you know, tend to be an entity that's fine with big banks gambling with subprime mm-hmm. mortgages that could ruin people's lives. But if you want to take a bet on a really great cryptocurrency project, they're going to bar you from doing so. Right. So it, it is um, a bit disappointing that the climate around cryptocurrencies in the U.S. seems to be so uh, rid- riddled with barriers. Um but again, at the end of the day, our chief concern is to our customers, our users, whether they're current users or you know, prospective ones, and make sure that we are in a position where we aren't fighting ourselves on the wrong side of some regulation that ultimately passes through to our users. Absolutely, and that's, that's key, because like I said, not everyone is doing that. You know, So it's unfortunate, but you guys are going about it in a way that is the most professional way and the most mm-hmm. responsible way. And I, you know, I think a lot of others have followed suit, but not everyone. And uh, I don't think this climate will exist forever. But while it does, you have to, you know, as a project, you have to, you know, kind of check the necessary boxes for sure. Yeah. Um, there is, uh, and you know, we saw this with uh, the Mayweather-McGregor fight. We see it with other huge sporting events. Um, a, a huge problem, it seems, for these uh, major sports organizations with illegal streaming, right? I have yet to see an answer. You know, I'm a big sports fan myself, growing up playing football, but I have yet to see an answer on how folks combat this illegal streaming because it seems certain security processes are put in place and somehow, uh, be it a new app or, or 4chan or Reddit or whatever, there are, are constant you know, illegal streaming mm-hmm. videos. Uh, I think it was the Mayweather-McGregor fight that said that there were something like thousands of different streams that people were mm-hmm. switching back and forth through. And, um, you know, while it's not uh, something that people defend very often, they mm-hmm. don't go and defend Showtime Boxing, give, give you know, them more money, give, you know, May- Mayweather should get all the money he deserves, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not something there that uh, is defended a lot by the user, but for you know, the context of the entire industry and kind of where you guys fit in. Give us some context on this whole illegal streaming battle. Yeah, I'll take a stab and then I'll let uh, Nick jump in. 
Um, but I want to draw a distinction between people who are just clearly pirating the stream and broadcasting it for viewers around the globe to watch versus someone who may be at the stadium or at the fight and streaming on Instagram Live, mm. right, with the mobile phone quality. If you read our white paper, we footnote an article that uh, one of many that demonstrates there's a direct correlation between social media activity, live videos, um, before and during the game, and the amount of people who actually watch the fight or the game. So ultimately, the social conversation, the social sharing that's happening, that's user-driven, is beneficial for the league's teams and rights holders. And if you look at Instagram Live and Facebook Live, people are already sharing moments from, from the game mm -hmm. or, or the fight. And again, it's who ultimately benefits. It's, it's free promotion for the rights holders, but also as fans, we rely on that um, in various ways. So I think that, I think that there was a, a real fundamental use case and almost right that fans have to share experiences when they're at these events. Now, that's not to say you should be able to distribute a high definition right. quality stream um, for various reasons, but um, I, I think that the only thing I want to communicate is this sharing of live video is ultimately beneficial for the people who are trying to fight it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the answer is that there isn't an answer. Uh, again, coming, I go back to my time spent in music, and it's a, a community and an industry I'm still very close with. Hmm. How many millions and millions of dollars did the record label spend over 20 years trying to fight the wave that was inevitable anyway? You know, it's, it's easy to be a, a Monday morning quarterback and say that they should have recognized the opportunity that existed when you open up your content to the entire universe in an instant. But I think that they represent their, their whole battle against the Napsters and, and, and eventually the Spotify's of the world represent an ethos of large corporations not understanding what the hell people want. Mm. And I don't think there's one answer or one solution for, for Showtime, for anyone who's distributing professional sports content of any sort. But the perspective of assuming that it's bad if this content gets mass distributed in any way is probably best served going the way of the dinosaurs. It's not very useful to look at your customer base, which is actively engaging with your content in any sort of adversarial sense. So one way or the other, it's probably gonna make sense for anyone who's interested in both protecting and proliferating the content to which they have rights to understand what the customers want, how people are consuming content, and be much more willing to roll with the punches than they typically are. Gotcha. It's it's a battle out there. It's a war. It's mm -hmm. it's unbelievable. And you have on one side a, a massive amount of users who are going to do what they want and get what they want. And it's, it's a community that wants to interact, right? They're going to share these streams. And then on the other side, you have these massive, organi you know, multi-billion dollar organizations who are using a, spending a lot of money to do it, just like music, like you said. So Yeah, I think just one point on that, Nick invoked Napster and... Uh, you know, I've discovered several artists, you know, back in Napster days. Leonard Cohen comes to mind, and there's no way I would have ever purchased a Leonard Cohen mm -hmm. uh, song at the time. 
and um, obviously and then you go and see his concerts and, and you know, know since then I've purchased every single one of his CDs and I, I think it's very similar to live sporting events the, the experience of watching a shaky cell phone video stream of a fight or a game you can't tell me that that same person would ever pay to unlock a $99 stream um, of the fight itself until they become a fan so I think right. it's a very useful tool that as Nick mentioned shouldn't be suppressed it should be embraced it's, it's valuable so I think I think it's it's kind of a good moment to uh, plug something that we've been thinking about with Please. the potential of of the of the fan chain ecosystem, which is you know again we're we're creating this fan chain ecosystem as you know really a, a playing field. Let the community figure out how they want to use this currency. But one idea that we've been kicking around is the idea of staking tokens so that you can have access to content. So, you know, again, sort of shooting from the hip somewhat, like we were doing the other day in, in a meeting. If I'm a reasonably small market or mid-market team that isn't packing my stadium, doesn't exactly have a, a, a ton of people um, knocking at the door to steal my streams. Like our Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> yeah, like the Pittsburgh Pirates. I'm a lifelong Buffalo Bills fan. Okay. So even though I grew up in New York City, um, I've always really uh, tied my raft to a small market team. Mm-hmm. And it can be very disappointing to be a fan of these teams and get one Monday night football uh, showdown every 15 years. But if people like me were incentivized uh, and rewarded for being passionate about the team that we love, the Buffalo Bills could make a lot of bank off of a person like me. The Buffalo Bills could have someone like me distributing their content and bringing more and more fans in. The Buffalo Bills could get me, as a large staker of Buffalo Bills fan chain tokens, to Mm. get a party bus up to the Ralph and bring in 50 people who never would have bought a beer at the stadium before. So the potential that we've already recognized in the ecosystem that we're developing is surely only the beginning and, and much larger than fans token themselves or, or any ecosystem we might build. The potential of blockchain technology, of live video streaming, of this entire movement of decentralization and sharing content and, and experiencing things digitally with the entire world in an instant um, has a lot of potential for these people who own the rights to the content itself. And if they just wouldn't bang their heads against the damn wall and, and accept it and uh, evolve uh, with the technology and, and with the community, then I think we're going to be in a much better place overall. Yeah, I'm imagining a scenario where the Bills and you know the Titans and a handful of other teams mm-hmm. They well, we, uh, we don't mention the Titans in Buffalo. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Wycheck is not a name that floats around <laughs> our circles very often. My apologies. <laughs> uh, but, you know, a handful of different teams within any organization embracing something like this. Mm-hmm. And the other ones, you know, not, right? And then you have this crazy, I mean, this is something you guys think about all the time, I'm sure. But, like, the, the different routes that, that FanChain could take with not only the users, but also these different organizations. So... It'll be interesting to see. Uh, so for your token sale for FanChain, hit me with some important dates, some key dates for users. So all of July, we are embarking on phase one. We're calling it our early contributor round. 
Um, now is the time to, to get in if you're interested and if you're not a U.S. resident. And um, if you go to fanchain.com, you'll see a link to our cryptos landing page and all of the information to participate will be there. Um, we expect uh, the second round of the phase to happen August, September, and then the final phase to happen shortly after that. Um, the great thing about our partnership with COIN is it provides a pathway to be listed on their exchange uh, shortly after the, the token sale, which is a nice. great benefit um, to our con contributors. Um, so now is the time to get in. Go to fanchain.com and all the information is there. What are the plans after the token sale? After the token sale, we have a very robust, aggressive roadmap. Um, we're going to be developing tools and use cases for FanChain that will just benefit all of the users of, of the FanChain token. Gotcha. That's awesome. Uh, well, really appreciate the time. I think this is uh, probably a, a good spot to stop, but certainly want to ensure everyone knows where to reach you guys, right? So Telegram, website, what's the, what's the best place to reach out, get some you know, feedback to you again. I think it's awesome that you guys are very, you know, open and mm -hmm. looking for user feedback and very user focused. It's, you know, it's, it's going to take that for yes. uh, basically a user focused project to work. So what's the best way? Go to fanchain.com and we have a link to our telegram. Okay. Um, someone, from, someone from our staff is there uh, most hours of the day. Um, we have an active Bitcoin talk thread going on. Um, but if you want to talk one-on-one -on -one with one of us, uh, join us on Telegram. Perfect. Awesome. Or download Sportscaster. We'll see your stream when you go live, and we'll just talk to you there. I'm, I'm, yes. I'm definitely going to do that. Next week, we'll, we'll download it in the office Please and get do. you guys uh, get you online, have you meet the team. So this has been a, an absolute pleasure. Really appreciate Likewise. you guys having me in the office. I'm glad we could we can make this work, and best of luck to you guys. Thank you. Thanks. We're big fans of ICO Alert, and it's a pleasure hosting you at our offices. Awesome. Cheers. ICO Alert maintains the only trusted comprehensive list of pre-ICOs and initial coin offerings. This Pittsburgh-based startup has grown to serve over 1 million users in less than a year. But how did it get started? Well, at first, the company was just an online tool for two brothers, Mike and Rob Finch, to keep a calendar of their favorite ICOs. After just a few months, the team has grown to over 14 team members and produced hundreds of ICO reports. These in-depth reports feature exclusive interviews and offer insight into past, active, and future ICOs. Head on over to ICOalert.com, meet the team, and use their game-changing My Portfolio function. Track your favorite blockchain projects. Become your own venture capitalist. Only at ICOalert.com.